Hey guys, this is Connor checking in real quick before the start of the episode. As I'm sure you're aware, our society is facing a great upheaval and a lot of distress over the deaths of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd, and honestly, so, so many others. At least in my mind, in my brief experience, it seems like there's a changing point, like something different is happening. And so the Amazing Perplex podcast, we always want to be about truth and we always want to be about justice and we always want to be about equality. And we hold firm to the belief that all of us were created in the image of God and that when one person or one people group are oppressed or denied or are treated as if they are less than or treated as if they were not created in the image of God, that God and ultimately his church should cry out for that to be fixed. And so during this time, Jason and I have really struggled and wrestled with how do we how do we address how do we address this issue? How do we talk about it? And the Bible is full and especially the Jesus story is full of different times where God speaks directly to the oppressed and speaks directly to the oppressor. Jesus gives hope to the captives and he gives hope to the person, to the man, woman or child with the boot of empire on their proverbial neck. And so at some point we might discuss one or, or many of those different instances, but for right now, we feel like it's important to amplify other voices, to amplify African-American voices, people of color voices who have been in this space for a long time, who have lived it, who are working in it, and who just have a different perspective than Jason and I do. And so down in the description, there will be several different leaks to different uh, podcasts, YouTubes, different websites um, that I have found really helpful in the past couple of weeks to just help me have a better perspective on how all this feels to the African-American community, how, how different people are responding and just completely different perspectives. There's there's pastors there, there are community organizers, there are professional podcasters, there is even a poet songwriter. There's just a lot of different perspectives and man, we just believe that there's a lot of good things to come out of getting as much perspective as possible. And so we just encourage you before you listen to this podcast or after you listen to this podcast, just click on one of at least one of those links and be blessed. Peace. Hello, my name is Connor and I'm Jason and you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the parable of the prodigal son, and it is just a hefty, hefty chunk of text. And so we're going to ask uh, that you would pause this and you would get out your Bible, get out your phone and, and read the story before you listen to the podcast. That way you have the proper context for it. Obviously, if you're driving on the highway, you know, get out your phone and drive recklessly while you look up a Bible verse. Don't do that. But yeah, look up Luke 15 verses 11 through 32. So, Jason, what amazes you about this story? 
one of the challenges with with tapping into amazement is when you've read a story 50,000 times. You know, this is obviously a well-traveled ground for anybody that spent time in church. For me though, when I when I just try to take it as if I've never heard it before, what amazes me is the implication that God is waiting for me, that he's excited to see me, that he just, he cannot wait for me to come to him, and the power I have to set that timeline. That is amazing to me. That's awesome. What about you? For me, if you read through all of Luke chapter 15, you have the parable of the lost sheep, and then you have the parable of the lost coin, then the last one that Jesus says, he kind of goes like on a little bit of a roll. He starts to really feel himself, and these stories they weave together together to form this narrative and this basically help you understand the character of who God is and what God is after. And it's interesting the first the first parable Jesus will talk about this lost sheep that gets that is is gone and a shepherd goes and rescues the sheep and then there's a story of a lost coin and the woman goes and finds the lost coin. And then this last parable I've always thought of it as as different, right? Is well the son the son goes back and he 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 goes to the father. He's the one who, who finds himself. But when you really dig into it, the son will begin to talk about, he'll give himself this speech, right? That even my father's servants, even the slaves in the household live better than me. So I'm going to go to my father's house. And his goal is not to be, to go back to be a son. His goal is to just get the bare minimum. And so what really amazes me about this passage and specifically about this whole chapter is that the foundness is not predicated on any of the lost objects. They are found, and they have very little to do with it. Yes, uh, that's, that's excellent. That is excellent. So what perplexes you about this? What perplexes me is this is a passage that is, the context around it is he is speaking to Pharisees. And all of these parables would have just been incredibly offensive to the sensibilities of a Pharisee. So then he told the Pharisees this parable and he says, suppose, you know, you were a shepherd for the Pharisees. That would be the most like offensive thing in the world. It was an unclean job. It was, it was disgusting and it, and it cast this light and it's very clear what Jesus is labeling them as what Jesus thinks of, of how they're going about their life and how they're going about teaching people about God and living their life. And he does the same thing with the lost coin and the prodigal son. It's very clear, direct messaging. But in that, then at the end, Jesus gives hope. Jesus, speaking in the form of the Father of God, speaking to the older son who is mad about the younger son being accepted, mad about the sinners being accepted into the kingdom, Jesus then comes in and delivers one of the most beautiful lines in all scripture. And Jesus said to the older son who's upset about the sinners getting into the party, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found and what perplexes me is even after all this even after all this direct rebuke and critique over all that the pharisees stand for jesus is still looking at them as just like, I'm, like you're so close you're almost there jesus still has a spirit and still even after all this he wraps up this message with you can still step into the party you can still be a part of it and that Jesus has that heart and that spirit, even after all this, it's both amazing and perplexing. So for me, what, what is perplexing is the dynamic of the lost son and why didn't he know 
about the Father? Why didn't he know that he had access to those things? What what is it that what messages that he taken on that said, yes, my father has all this, but I'm separated from it because that's the offense. He's saying you are giving this undeserving brother access to things that I don't have, and the father's first response is you always have access to these things, and I I think that is it's perplexing, and I see it in my life, and I wonder even now. What is it that God has for me that I don't lean into, I don't, I don't take on as reality because of self-limitations? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we have to assume if, if the master represents God or the father represents God, that it's not that God just is inept at communicating you know, to, mm-hmm. to us these things. Neither would we assume that the father was inept at communicating these things to the older son. Sure. And you have to imagine, you know, Jason, as a father, and I think about this as as a father to be, man, if one of your kids did not know, like, how would it feel to you if one of your kids did not know for a fact that they were always with you and that you they always had your love and always had your acceptance and that there was no amount of goodness or badness that could that could permanently draw them away or, or take that love away? How would you feel if if your kids didn't know that. Yeah, so I can say that not just hypothetically, I can say that because of experience, you know, my my kids are are older, you know, 18 and 20, and there are times they respond to me and it occurs to me they don't think I trust them. They or they think I have a perspective that I don't have and I have some choices there. I could be defensive cuz I I could take that on as an accusation. Yeah, that's not who I am or whatever. But I've realized, oh, for whatever reason, they haven't gotten the message that, yes, I may have a problem with this aspect of what you're doing, for example, but I'm not against you. And and I think that what how that shows up, I see myself in that position as, as the child there with God that so we, we can just, you know, how does God feel about you? If you, oh, God loves me and God's for me and God, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I've learned over the years that when you press someone on that, that, when people say, well, God loves everyone, does God love you? And then to press and say, how does God's love show up in your life? How does God's joy show up? How, how is God's redemption? I have been so amazed over the years when you will talk to people that will say, yeah, God's everywhere, God's doing everything. Give me an example in your life. Uh, and, and it's because... We have not been taught to personalize this. Matter of fact, when I was young, when people started talking about it's about a relationship with Jesus in the churches I was part of, that was that was threatening talk, this idea of relationship with Jesus. And I'm glad that that, I, hopefully that seems foreign, I, but th- that's the nature of this is I don't personalize these aspects of God to myself. So my wife is, is currently pregnant and she was in the throes of morning sickness. And the other day I looked at her and, you know, she's just laying on the couch. She feels miserable and terrible. And I just want to take a video of her just in pain and misery for our, our unborn child. So that one day, like 16 years from now, when our future child slams the door in her face and calls her an awful name, and, you know, says, you, you know, you don't love me. You don't, you know, whatever that there's like physical proof of like, I've gone through so much for you all, <laughs> you know, just in this small little time. Right. I, w- what's interesting to me is, and I, my, and Hannah and I, as we talk through this, there would be a natural urge 
when that happens with your kid or with, when that happens with your son or daughter to want to grab them and be like, no, don't you understand? Like everything I have is yours and you know, all, all that fun stuff. But for God, there is this, he like when the son, the younger son asks for an, his inheritance and deeply insults the father, there isn't this grabbing by the scruff and saying, do you realize how much I love you? Uh, it, I don't know. That's, that's really interesting. And has that, it has that urge to control maybe your perception of your kids. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely. And, and that's, that's what I was uh, attempting to say with that defensiveness, because the, the tendency that I have in life, and I don't know if others feel this way, is when I hear some portrayal of me or what I think is a portrayal of me that is not accurate, my go-to is defensiveness. So I've had to learn to suspend that defensiveness to try to listen and try to get to the heart of it. And I would say, I don't know if I'm 50% success rate, but I like to think I'm 50% success rate. That, but that means 50% of the time I'm like shutting it down, not listening, you know, this kind of thing. But when I do listen, when I do move in, what I realize is there's shakiness, they're feeling shakiness, I'm talking about my kids specifically, in the nature of the relationship. They're questioning whether I love them, whether I trust them, whether I'm for them, whether they're worth listening to, these kind of things. And so that's a teachable moment. And when I tap into that, I'm tapping into the proverbial hymn of the garment of how God is to me. And that's the leap. Uh, I, I don't, man, I don't know if I can say this enough, but I think so many of the people define God by their experience at church. And man, I hope that is congruent. I mean, I would love to think that you're walking into church and you're receiving the unconditional love of God, the the so much grace that you can't even make enough mistakes to get there to outlive it. Um so much mercy, so much joy in you. You know, one of the dynamics in this in these three stories in Luke 15 is the joy when yeah. the person was found. But we don't internalize that to us. God is joyful about me today. Yes. Not just he's tolerating me, because that's kind of the sense you can get in some churches, certainly I've got, that you are right on the line here from even being saved, much less that he delights in you. That just feels like ridiculous thing. Oh, for sure. And I think what you said, right, your experience in church is going to is going to dictate a lot of how you take in these stories. Also, your relationship with your father or, or your parents in general is going to inform this a lot. So this is, again, I'm getting very personal. For my wife and I, for Hannah and I, Hannah had a great family situation, a father that just is passionate for the Lord, has been a constant godly presence in her life and constantly pointed her to the father. And subsequently, she, she is able to look at the goodness of her father and go, how much greater is is my, my heavenly father than even my earthly father? For me, you know, I had, a, I had a very messy situation. And my father, you know, he struggled a lot. And we had, uh, there's a very, there's a lot of tension in that relationship. And there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of fallenness. And so one of the initial things that, that drew me to God was this aspect of being a father. And I think this kind of plays on the story, right? Is we get it from both perspectives, right? Of Hannah is able to make that leap because she, she sees the goodness of her father and make the leap to how much greater God is even than him. And me, I come from a deficit and I'm able to latch on to the promise of an even 
greater and better father. I don't know. I, I That constant reminder it, it is so important for me because I have this tendency, like all humans do, because I experienced God in this way, because I experienced God, you know, come, coming to me and comforting me in a broken family situation that he doesn't, that he can speak just as much in a good and, and whole family as he can in, in the brokenness. And I think there's a lot of that in this story. We often will say, why did God choose to tell a story this way? Now, now a lot of things that happen is because it happened. Like, this is reality. But it's specifically in parables. Why did he choose these pictures? And I think that is a really, uh, just a, a deft observation on why did he choose father and son dynamic? You know, and I think that is really important for us. Even in that dynamic, we kind of just can breeze right past the fact that God chose to identify himself as your father, as my father, in contrast to your Lord and my Lord. Now, there are times that that he uses that terminology, and it's correct. He is my Lord. He is in charge. He's the master. He's the one that knows what's best for me, and I need to obey him. Uh, But he also chooses and, and... I think largely relies on that picture of of father to children. Then furthermore, he created the dynamic of fathers and their children. Like he didn't, it wasn't like he created everything and like, oh, wait, that reminds me of me. (laughs) You know what I mean? He created these relationships to speak that. And so one of the things that I I, I just kind of want to throw out there to you, Jason, what I love about this story is you have two sons and they're both in, they're both approaching life in an incredibly in an incredibly broken way. The young son, he seeks to gain fulfillment, to gain life by seeking out the worldly things. He seeks fulfillment, salvation in the ways of the world. And then the older son is seeking fulfillment and salvation by his own works. And he holds these things up. And what's really interesting, and and maybe this has something to speak to in, in our current day, these sons are equally as broken and the way that Jesus handles them individually is just really fascinating to me. It is, and and I think this is this dynamic of acknowledging for me that I am both the son that left and squanders, and I am also at times the son that stays and is judgmental and is saved by my goodness, by my works, by my well, I'm a minister, I must be saved kind of feeling, you know. Um, I'll tell you, the this strong, I, I really see God working in our culture over the last 50 years, and I'm sure if I had a better sense of the previous 50 years, I could see him, he's always doing that. But one of the things I think he's certainly done, and I don't know, I think many times as Christians we feel threatened by this, but this demand for authenticity to not be hypocritical uh, is so strong, and I'm not suggesting it's it's not abuse. It is absolutely abused. Every single concept, everything that God has given us is misused, manipulated, and abused. That doesn't eliminate the fact that God is using it. You know, he, He's not using it in those ways, but the devil will always have influence, and people will always choose not to yield their free will to God and will abuse the things He's given them. And that shouldn't control us. So this dynamic of recognizing that authenticity is is something that's needed it even shows up in this passage and there are other passages that show it clearly but god doesn't pull any punches that this guy the son that left is 
a mess. And he doesn't pull any punches that the other guy is a mess. And they're his kids in the story, you know. And that's how he feels about us. We're a mess. At, at my best day, I am so underperforming for how God created me to be. And God is so clear again and again, again and again and again that he works through us, our choices to open ourselves up. But in order for us to open ourselves up, there's, there's this ratio of how much we trust him to how much we open ourselves up. Because when I'm told, you got to be careful, you got to make sure that, that you just do everything right, and then you have these thoughts in your mind or these struggles you have, well, then that says, I need to close down more and more. And, and the, the sad, sad truth there is we end up closing down more and more to everything, you know, to, to God. We end up closing down to the opportunities God gives us. Yeah, we see the danger, right? We see, we see some crazy party that's happening over there. And we're like, I don't know, that doesn't look super good to me. So I need to close myself from all parties. I need to take a step back and, and just and go sit in my corner and not and not participate. And then hopefully eventually the father comes out to us and says, like, like, yeah, we're not even gonna, we're not even going to deal with the with the party over there. That That's whatever that you, we can. We'll talk about that some other time. There's a party right over here. And because of your feelings towards that party or this party or anything around you you have chosen to ignore the thing that's directly in front of you and man that is i i feel that with god so often in my life of it's so easy to look at other people's theological beliefs or the way they decide to go about their ministry and i'm just like well i don't like that party i don't like what what they're doing and maybe that's maybe sometimes it's right and sometimes maybe it's wrong but I think so often in times in my in my hypocritical heart, there is this tendency to miss the forest of the trees. So as I as I think through, you know, how do I process this stuff? The, the first step to me is is clearly I'm trusting God with this process in contrast to, okay, now I know things. I've really got to work hard on this. You know, I'm trusting God with this process. I'm inviting God into this process, whether this is an older brother or younger brother moment in my life, I'm inviting God into this promise, into this process with me to take me where I need to be, to open my eyes to things I can't uh, see, I have blind spots about, and he will do this in his time. And, and I think that's really, really important. And that takes me back to that part that amazes me is he is running to help you. Let that speak to you. He is running to help you. And 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 Connor addressed this uh, last time or a couple times ago with the rich young ruler, how, how it is not Jewish protocol. This would be yet one more thing that would offend the Pharisees in the storytelling is this man of esteem, not just a Jewish man, but a man of esteem who clearly has some wealth and he's running to meet them. This is not a one-time thing. This is not your original conversion. Yes, then, but but now too. He is always, his spirit is always running. And I think because we we don't contextualize well when we study the Bible, and so we'll see his harsh judgments, especially in the Old Testament, and we have to put that into context. These were, were people that were refusing to believe him, and almost in every case were leading people away from believing him, like like focused threatening the people that would have come to him, and that's where those very harsh um, judgments came. But there is a clear distinction throughout Scripture, and in particular in the New Testament, with 
those in Christ have a whole different reality with God. There is no comparison. Now, God does send the rain to the just and the unjust. He's blessing everybody in some way. Obviously, we're all breathing, so God gives that ability. But the nature of the dynamic is not just, whew, I may be saved here. No, this is a father-child relationship in a way that you cannot comprehend it, even if you had a tremendous dad. Because he says, hey, good dads will give their kids, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, good dads will give their kids food to eat if they ask. They won't give them stones or snakes. But you're evil compared to God, meaning as, as the best treatment you can imagine from a father or from anyone that loves you, um, that pales so much in comparison, it's almost not comparable. He is running to you in the middle of this. The, the decision, though, is will you take the walk up the path? And the thing that's good about this son is he knows he's a disaster. He's already made a, a, you know, a, a sub plan. He's like, I know I can't be the son. Can you hire me? You know, treat me as a slave. At least I have something to eat, you know, kind of thing. And, and I'm like, it's okay to come up with bad solutions, you know, or, or come to him with bad solutions. It's okay to come to him with your doubt. He is doubting he is a son anymore. Mm. And God runs to him. And, and that dynamic of he is always running to me, man, that helps me because I get really stuck in both sides thinking, how will I get back? That's really good. That's really good. I don't know about you, Jason. My tendency when I'm thinking about this passage in whatever area that I'm looking, whatever phase of life I tend to be in and I tend to be looking, you know, man, if I'm, if I'm really struggling with some anger or whatever issue might be and, and I see myself giving, my, giving myself over to the anger or frustration and I see myself in the younger son and, and I see, I see that, that joy right of the father running towards me. So it's so easy for me when I'm the younger son to then judge the older son right and then other times where i'm i'm doing well right i'm checking those emotions i'm checking those feelings i'm i'm studying the scriptures like crazy it it is so easy for me to look down upon the younger son and this is this is a challenge it's a continual challenge and i keep I i swing from one side of the pendulum to the other like repeatedly it's so frustrating and it, it's it's that same dynamic of of trying to save yourself i'd never even thought about this jason you can you can correct me if i'm wrong I, i'm wondering did the younger son look at his older brother as ah that success did the younger son go and oh, okay my older brother he's got to figure out he stayed with him forever maybe one day if i'm his if i'm my father's servant for long enough i could approach you know a tenth of what my older brother the esteem that my older brother has and then eventually, at the end of the story, vice versa. The older brother is clearly jealous of what the younger son has received. And so I'm just thinking out, out loud here. Do I, I think I see that in my own life, right? Where I'm, I'm envious. I'm envious of people who I see as, as who have had the answers, who have it figured out. And then I'm envious of the people that can so willingly, easily accept the father running to them. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. I, I totally agree with that. And, and I, think, I think this... This dynamic, I, I remember reading through uh, some reading of the Bible we were doing as a congregation a few years ago and realizing I'm the Pharisee in most of these stories. Mm-hmm. Like if you take away the cultural trappings, but you just have the human dynamic, I'm I've like— I've always thought you should wear more robes. Well, thank you. I've wanted somebody <laughs> to tell me that. Heather is always against it. I, but but the idea of of realizing, man, I'm usually the accuser. I'm usually the one that says, oh, you didn't measure up. Now, I, I do it kindly, and I wear a smile, and I try to find the most encouraging way. And, and it is clear we're, we're given to each other to correct and, and to offer 
offer um, guidance when it's needed. But do we go the step further? And I've done this. I, I've done this helping homeless people. I, it just occurred to me, helping homeless people get jobs and move into place where they lived. And, and I would be trying to make them middle class, you know, and, and put things on them that might have benefited them, but they weren't necessary for their relationship with God. And I would, I would start to overemphasize those things. This is such a common thing in church culture, right, is I'm discipling them to be a—I'm discipling this person to be your average middle-class evangelical Christian as opposed to just what God has called them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's, that's really good. And we, we're often hostile, right? When, when, when somebody doesn't follow along that path, we're often hostile to when people buck against that tradition. Yeah, there was a guy that— um... Uh, we we both know love this guy. I'm going to meet with this guy later on this afternoon. Just thought about this, but I really thought I met him when he was like seventh grade, kind of similar to our relationship. And mm-hmm. and he um and and man, he just had so much going for him with Christ, and uh, did some things that I thought were leading. I was like, won't this be cool? You'd be a minister. I'd be a minister. You know, kind of in my head. And then he decided to go another professional uh, pathway. And on one hand, I'm thrilled with him because he needs to be doing that. That's how God wired him. And another, I had to grieve that that loss of that little dream. And I'm grateful because people had helped me see it beforehand that that we are so tempted to whatever works for me, and it's good. It, I'm talking about good stuff. Then that must be what works for you. And I think that's that's a big challenge. I'm reminded that the the apostles hung together for a while, but then they all went their own direction. And and Paul did ministry a lot different than Jesus did ministry, you know? And I just think that's Jesus freeing him up to follow his God-given design while following God. And it didn't minimize Jesus' influence. It just, Jesus influenced him to follow God, but he didn't say, and do the methods that I did. I would just encourage you this. If you're somebody who's not, not in the whole Jesus campers, unsure. I would just encourage you, the picture that Jesus paints of the Father is a father waiting on the porch to see his son running back to him. And so maybe you feel like, well, for my father to run out to me, I have to at least be, you know, right on, I have to be halfway up the driveway or I have to be like, you know, I have to be on the street at the very least for for God to come running towards me. It says that the father saw the son from far off and ran towards him. So I would just encourage you, if you are making the progression towards, if you have chosen to start walking towards God, the father is running towards you. Even if it's a slow walk, the father is running towards you. And secondly, if if you're in this walk, if you've if you're walking alongside Jesus and you find yourself like the older son, confused at why things are happening the way that they're happening, confused by why the Father, why God is acting in a particular way that he is, or why he's allowing things, or what the whole plan for the situation is. The Father is in, is, is inviting you and telling you, like, you're just outside the party. The party isn't down the street. The party isn't far away. The party is right in front of you. And all you have to do is choose is choose to go into the party because you're almost basically there. And so that would that would be my encouragement for you over the next week. If you're not a follower of Jesus and eventually become a follower of Jesus, you'll see yourself in both these both these men, both these sons all of the time. And that's okay. 
and that's that's good that's why jesus gave us this parable our prayer is always that what god has led us to will be beneficial to you there's no way we could know Uh, But we believe in his spirit leading each of us and crossing our paths in significant ways. And so I want to keep putting out there your feedback is is valuable to us. Man, we've heard from you um, specifically, hey, here's what I'm thinking about this. um, And what about this? Or, hey, you, you said this. Can you explain that further? That that kind of stuff is so helpful to us uh, to be able to read how God's wanting to lead uh, this effort. Uh, to glorify him, to bring attention to him, uh, and develop comfort in sitting with him and resting in, in his grace. So your feedback is, is very helpful to us, and we just couldn't encourage it enough.